Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricast. We are a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I'm at Rectine, and Tulsa did it. The red jerseys pulled off the win against Memphis at homecoming. Uh, made it a real uh, kind of scary towards the end as they pulled off the six-point win, 35-29. Uh, so yeah, let's just dive right into this game. Uh, definitely nice to not drop the ball like we did against Houston a couple weeks ago. Um, I think this is... So I'll just give my first thoughts uh, to kind of summarize where I'm at. Uh, the team played with a lot more spirit and resolve. Uh, we didn't see any, not in, I won't say didn't see any, but the line play, like night and day. Memphis definitely has a worse defensive line. So like, is it, yeah, Davis Brin wasn't under as much pressure, but you didn't see the low snaps. You didn't see as much. And even when he was under pressure, like he was so much better about getting out in the pocket. So I think it just kind of, it showed everywhere. We had better passing game, better running game, special teams, like not bad. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you have to give an edge to one team in this game, don't definitely not Memphis. They had like four missed kicks. So mm. we had a lot of things break our way, uh, but I think the team played a really strong follow-up to the Houston loss. Yeah, and it says you mentioned the Memphis uh poor field goal kicking and you know we talked about it when we were at the game too but i just so surprising to see this from memphis it's just like a totally different team than we've seen from memphis in general over the last several years like you know we'll stick on the field goal thing for a sec but like they've had several kickers go on to the nfl like in a row like three in a row have been drafted and like i'm so used to them bombing like 50 yarders on us and then they've i don't even know who this guy was or what his name was but like missed three a bunch of them were short, like short, easy, typically your easy field goal kick. I mean, it's like Tulsa circa 2018 when we were missing all the easy ones, you know, and it's just good to I be mean, on the other side of that. Yeah, huh? 2019 uh, when yeah, we sure. played Memphis. Like this is the game. Was that not uh, where we missed the last second field goal to lose? Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was that against was Memphis. Yeah. Devastating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good but call. It's, it just it seems like it's flipped since then because Zach Long is like this year. He's shown that he can be the, the kicker. And For sure. like not even just on the field goals, he was actually like they had one kick return that I noticed that they actually ran out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was hitting them to the end zone, which is <laughs> yeah, of, was like bizarre. I know. Exciting. Yeah. Like, where did that come from? I know I had I uh that, that was one of the bigger surprises of the game. We're so used to seeing Zach Long not be able to get it there and just accepting that that's his game now because he's he's doing them instead of Tyler Tipton or whatever's going on there. Uh, but yeah, he had a couple, like more than one this game that that got booted out of the end zone. And then you saw, you know, Tyler Tipton all of a sudden came in. I think I was out getting food or beer or something. Uh, but Tyler Tipton came in, I guess, and, and kicks yeah, one, right? Last, and it went out. The last kickoff, he hit the wall uh, behind the end, behind the, uh, you know, the yeah. <laughs> end zone side. Yeah, so like, what? Why? What? It just makes it more confusing why he's not taking them all the time. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's. I don't know if it's a loyalty thing with Montgomery and it's just, this is Zach Long's senior I mean, year or what? Yeah, the answer is just yes to that. <laughs> I mean, that's what, I, that's we, what we I feel know, like it has to be. That's his MO. It's just, God, it's so surprising. But like, then why put, why did, why did Tipton come in at the end? It does, I don't, I don't understand. Cause the I, game, well, it's not like we were, the game we was up over. By, yeah, but we were up by two scores with uh, like four minutes left or however, cause they scored kind of, yeah, they scored with three minutes left. Three minutes, 11, whatever. I don't know. But mm-hmm. like we were up by tw- 14 with four and a half. So I think he mm-hmm. was like, okay, yeah, let's just give him a kick. We're kind of 
feel good about this game. And then we just that's where. Well, there's no way. There's no way that 14 is nothing, especially when you're kicking them the ball back with three. I mean, that's like, what do you what, that can't be the reason it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but I mean, I'm just happy we got to see him in there at all. Uh, and he made a good kick. So, you know, or, you know, good on him. I think that was solid. But, you know, sticking on the just it being a weird team from Memphis this year, we got the we got the weird special teams thing we just talked about. But on top of that, we're so used to seeing and we talked about this in the preview, too, but just a extremely powerful running game coming out of Memphis. And again, they you know, this this whole season has been kind of like this, but they just don't have the the big time back that they've had with Antonio Gibson and Kenneth Gainwell and Tony Pollard. And like you go back longer and longer. Those are NFL caliber guys that are playing in the NFL right now, and, and they just don't have a guy like that. And, you know, Rodriguez Clark as Dre Clark, kind of, kind of their main guy, Brandon Thomas, more, more recently, their, their main guy, neither of them, you know, had great games. Dre Clark only carried it three times. Uh, Brandon Thomas, 18 carries easily the lion's share there. Um, but only 4.3 yards of care. He did score two touchdowns, but he wasn't like gashing us over and over again. Like I'm used to seeing from Memphis. And then, you know, you flip it back to us, and we, it seems like we've got the string of, of running backs. Now, I put it on Twitter today. It's like D'Angelo Brewer to Corey Taylor to Shamari Brooks uh, to Anthony Watkins to, you know, next man up, Bill Jackson, maybe uh, the, the freshman this year. It's just like a string of really strong backs from us lately that seem to be getting better and better as time goes on. And so, you know, looking at this game, Brooks, clearly, I mean, with Daneric Prince, who I didn't even mention that list just there, he should have been in there too. Um Prince out again, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, I don't even see him on the sidelines. Got no carries was out for the game. Uh, Brooks takes over, uh, gets easily the majority of the shares, 26 carries compared to the second place guy. Anthony Watkins got nine and averaged about five yards of carry scored two touchdowns on those. And then, you know, Watkins, I think with easily the play of the game, in my opinion, that, you know, however long that long run was where he went straight up the middle and just, it was like four or five broken tackles in a row. And, just they just couldn't bring him down he had a guy dragging on his foot for like half that run there was a guy like on his back you know number 30 uh late there like close to the end zone he shook him off after like 10 yards straight of him being on him and then you know made it past the final guy to get into the end zone i was i was amazed that was i mean maybe the i don't know i'd have to think about some other plays but maybe the maybe my favorite play of the year from this tulsa team so far that was just like blew my mind and the whole crowd in there it's, it was pretty late already. You know, it's, it was a late game, but the, the crowd that was still there, uh, they were, they were loving it. The, the place came alive with that run. It was pretty sweet. Okay. Yeah. And so I was just doing some digging on the kicking situation cause it's bizarre. Um, so there were two, their punter, Joe Doyle also came in and kicked a field goal in this game, oh, wow. but I think he did it at the end. So their freshman, David Kemp has had, he was like the fifth ranked kicker in the 2021 recruiting class um has been dealing with an injury looks to be like a foot injury which you know can be devastating for a kicker i imagine uh so doyle has been kicking their punter has been kicking through the first couple games and he went like seven of ten or seven of nine i think and then i guess this was his first game back from his injury missed three kicks and then they brought uh doyle back who then missed the fourth kick yeah yeah not good um just really just really odd and you know you mentioned when you opened it up just about how nice of a bounce back this was after the beating we took uh versus houston and pretty much every facet of that game like we just looked asleep and bad nothing about the houston game was good uh, a rivalry game you know you lose by 35 to a rival at home 
And, you know, what do we do? Okay, how are we going to respond? You've got Philip Montgomery coming, you know, during this the, during the week, getting ready for this game, saying they had a long team meeting, right? And when I hear long team meeting, I get a little bit worried, you know, because that means the 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 wheels might be coming off here. If, if, if you've got to sit down and kind of have a heart to heart with a team that can go, that can be a positive thing or it can turn into kind of a negative thing, I think. Um, but it seems to have helped. Uh, you know, these guys, when you lose like that to a team like that, when it's your rival uh, on, against Houston, guys can quit on the season. I mean, it, it, nobody likes to think that that can happen, but it, it can totally happen on, on a team, no doubt. Um, and so I think for them to have responded the way they did in this game, I mean, came out, scored on the first drive, uh, got a little bit, you know, uh, out of it kind of later in the game, but came back strong. I think it was really, really promising sign for the rest of the season. And they they definitely looked, uh, you know, things could have gone better in this game. Memphis's defense is really bad. For us to have only scored seven on them in the first quarter, I think is kind of concerning. But, hey, I'll take a win. Any 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 win after a 35-point loss like we just took at home, I think is is something you, you got to hang your hat on and try to bounce back even further from. And then, fortunately, we get to go to South Florida. Uh, and so, you know, we're bringing on – Rob Steig to talk about USF and the Bulls this year. They're they're not you know not a great team, and so it's a, it's definitely a chance to keep some momentum going into the bye week, take some positivity into the next game, you know, after the week off, and 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 roll from there. So I was worried about this game, you know, with the Houston loss. I I thought we might come out of the gates kind of looking like quitters, but they looked more fired up than than they have in a while, like you said, Matt. So I I'm happy about it. Yeah, and there's a lot of winnable games left on the schedule. So mm-hmm. like you have Cincinnati and SMU both on the road SMU's on the road right yes last game of the year okay so both of those those are going to be tough those are going to be very uh like I don't anticipate winning either of those Mm -hmm. I think I predicted us to lose at the beginning of the year and I would even say that more so now but you know the remaining the other four games left on the schedule you know were at USF hosting Navy and Temple and at Tulane like all four of those games are winnable like Temple, not a great team. They beat Memphis, uh, who's also kind of not a great team. Navy, <laughs> yeah. they have their new quarterback, so they could be mm-hmm. and are always a challenge. But yep. like Tulane, not great. They're one in five right now this year. A very weird season for them. And then, you know, South Florida, as we'll talk about later. So, I mean, four games, there's still, you know, a chance that we go bowling this year, which I think is for how the season started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at, at the very least, like that's a good thing and at the bare minimum what montgomery needs to do to salvage the season and come back because i feel like if we don't go bowling i would argue like he should be gone that's just it's too many losing seasons there's just this program wouldn't there's not a lot of momentum going forward um but yeah sorry i don't mean to just jump ahead to the rest of the year no uh but just kind of like you know this team still has something to fight for. Uh, there's still a chance that we can have postseason play. And I mean, making a bowl game has got to be huge. I mean, when's the last, I guess we did it last year, um, which was the first time since 2016, but mm-hmm. to go back, you know, back to back bowl seasons would be a real nice and refreshing change. Um, Cause we haven't had that since Montgomery's first two years. Yeah. But just kind of, so on this game, there's a couple things I want to talk about first. Seth Hennigan threw for a lot of yards, uh, 463 total yards. Uh, We talked a lot about during that game, and this is something that we've seen in the past, is the middle, like from 15 to 20 yards down the field, is almost open all the time. Like that's Mm -hmm. just how our defense seems to play. 
And so we're going to get gashed for a lot of yards. But I guess there's something to say like yards, total yardage is kind of a very misleading stat in college football that I think people probably like casual fans uh, probably pay too much attention to. Like Mm -hmm. if you're going to give up a lot of yards, but they're not necessarily meaningful yards, or if you're able to force turnovers or, you know, block, prevent them from getting touchdowns, that's pretty good. And so we did that fairly well. I mean, there were a couple drives where they just would do that four or five times. Uh, and get down. So that was kind of frustrating. Um, and the other one point on the flip side is Davis Brin had some great throws during this game. Uh, but I think this is the first time he's been held under 200 yards. I mean, for his short career. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, when Montgomery unlocked him or let him kind of roll, he played really well. And I think that's kind of something that we should be doing more because we ran a lot. Yeah, it was a pretty conservative game plan for us. Uh, Ran the ball twice as much as we passed it. Um, We passed 21 times. We ran it 46 times. Memphis, on the other hand, you mentioned like they were, they were passing it every chance they could. Uh, They passed it 57 times, ran it 42 times. Speaking of that, um, they had 99 total plays. We only had 67. They had so many more opportunities out there. This game came down to turnovers and the missed field goals by them. Uh, we had two interceptions and a fumble recovery. And I think that, you know, if we don't make those plays, like they were moving the ball on us. It, it wasn't like we we were stopping them all the time. Look at the yardage. They, they, they were outgaining us. No, they outgained us 614 to 417 yards, almost a 200 yard difference. You're not going to win a lot of those games. Uh, but we got two picks and then that fumble recovery and then they missed every field goal they tried to take. And uh, that's that's the difference in the game. And like you said, it, it's total total yards you give up is not always indicative of how good your defense is. If you can force turnovers, force interceptions, recover a fumble every now and then, which we haven't been great at this season, to be honest. Um, but you're going to make things happen if you can do it. And I think it does speak to our defense that they did make this happen. Seth Hennigan coming into this game, Memphis's quarterback, had thrown one interception over five games, right? He threw two in this game by himself. And then we got that fumble recovery. So clearly we were, we were getting to him. They were forcing, they were trying to force the ball a lot to Calvin Austin. That like, man, I feel like every play they were trying to get to him and it was working a lot. The guy's really talented. Uh, but I mean, for the most part, he didn't, he didn't really just destroy us all game. And I thought that was, that was solid. You did mention, and I, and I totally agree, like the middle kind of the side middle pockets of that of that defense were open for Memphis all game long. I mean, they could have gone there every play uh, and sometimes they just didn't do it. You know, trying to move the ball around. But anytime they went to that kind of middle side, like hat, like up the hash, it was just it's just right there for the taking. And so I'm sure that'll come up on film. Uh, hopefully that's something we can look at. But that was concerning. Um but hey, I mean, hey, we got we got the two picks turned over Seth Hennigan more than I thought we would for sure. So that was nice. And then the sacks, like you mentioned, uh, no sacks allowed for us. Uh, no, they didn't sack us one time after we let Houston get to him four times. Huge difference in the talent of the defensive line between Memphis and Houston. But still, I mean, Memphis averages a sack a game. At least we didn't. We held them under the average. So I think there's something to say to that, too. Yeah. And just to so, you know, turnovers, they have like a very large percent, like there's a huge uh, essence of luck that kind of go into them. Like you can't necessarily force turnovers, but I mean, you can, but it's just kind of how that works. But on top of that, I mean, that's, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so here's what I'll say. Fumbles for sure are generally more of a, like you can't really 
go into it game planning uh, turnovers. And I'm not, this is not, I'm agreeing with you on this, uh, especially because if you look at the, not the two interceptions, I mean, you had Tyon Davis pass deflection, Christian Williams deflected a pass, Trayvon, Trayvon Fuller on top of his interception also deflected three other passes, Tyneal yep. Martin with a pass deflection. Like we are corners were and safeties were doing a good job of breaking up a lot of these passes. So even when we weren't getting interceptions, um, you know, we were knocking them down or, or like how many of them, like how many interceptions did it look like Fuller could have had like at least two exactly. more like yep. for, for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to get them every time, but like with how we were playing, we were playing in a way where it didn't really feel uh, like our defense was just giving up uh, touchdown opportunities the entire time. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and when, you know, part of that is they just threw the ball so many times. It's like, you got to make some plays. Otherwise they're just going to roll you. So I'm glad we did. I, I was looking at the, uh, the receiving chart and like, you know, look, <laughs> it's, it's just so funny to look at our receivers stats, this game versus Memphis, right? <laughs> our guys, we had three guys total catch a pass for us, right? For 182 yards, 140 of those yards was one guy, Josh Johnson. And then you've got Sam Crawford with two catches. Like 62 uh, of those yards were on one play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then Sam Crawford, you know, two catches, 31 yards, uh, JC Santano, just the one catch. And then you look up, so that's three guys total catch the ball at all for us, for Tulsa. You look at Memphis's receiving chart, you know, they passed it over two times as much as us. So whatever, but still, it's just crazy to look at. You've got Memphis had 10 people catch a ball, 10 people. Calvin Austin, clearly <laughs> the go-to guy here, 13 catches, 200 yards. He's a, he's a big time talent. Like there's no, I mean, we, we did the best we could on him. He's an NFL caliber guy. He's going to be drafted. He's probably the best receiver in this conference. Uh, you, you're going to give up yards to him, especially when they pass the ball 57 times, uh, 13 of which go as completions to him. Um, but everybody else, you know, they have another NFL caliber guy on that roster, Sean Dykes, their tight end. And he had a touchdown, you know, late in the game. That was a great play. But in general, you know, only 47 yards receiving for him. Only four catches when they're throwing the ball that many times. I think that's that's overall a win on a really talented tight end over there. So it's just crazy. When <laughs> when when your game plan is just throw, 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 throw to your NFL caliber guys and you win the game and you get two interceptions off of it too, I mean, that looks that looks pretty good, especially when that quarterback hardly ever throws picks. So that's, uh, I think, overall, pretty solid performance from the defense, even though yeah. they did give up a lot of points. And of those 10 receivers, like eight of them uh, averaged like over 10 yards per reception, which is yeah. just insane. True. It's all, it's all that, same, that that spot that just hammers it down. 10 yards. It happened right yeah. on the hash. It did happen over and over and over again. It was amazing. I mean, everybody like everybody we noticed it. Everybody sitting around us was like, oh, there's that there's that spot again. And it just happened constantly. Uh, but, you know, it's just how it goes sometimes. Uh, so before we move on to players, of the game, just some penalty and injury notes, um, or mostly penalties here. This was a good game for penalties. Uh, we only had five for 40 yards and Memphis game, only had four. Game if you don't like penalties, I love <laughs> penalties and this was miserable. Wow. You can stay over in your corner, Matt, please. Uh, yes. Tulsa only had five penalties all game for 40 yards. That is, that is amazing. Memphis only had four for 30 yards. So we only had nine total penalties in this game between the two teams. That five penalties for 40 yards for us, that is tied with last year's game against South Florida as the fewest penalties in a game for TU since two years ago when we played Houston. We had four penalties against Houston for 39 yards. That is huge. We have been terrible. at pen- We are literally last in the country in penalties per game and penalty yards given up per game. And this exceptional performance moves us from last in the country, 130th out of 132, 
128th. Two oh, spots up. Yeah. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Not Moving last. on up. Not last. Still on the last page, but we're making progress. So, hey, momentum is momentum. Hopefully we can uh, keep that going because that is a trend I would like to not have. I am not confident in that happening. But, uh, hey, I'll take the positive news for a week. All right. Anything else on this game before we move to uh, players of the game? I just want to talk about how exciting it was to see that final drive. Um, you know, yeah. Memphis scores, misses the PAT. It looks like we're going to go into the half 13-7. Three plays later, Sam Crawford's Oh, final, final drive of the half. Yeah, sorry. No. Yes. Um, well, the final drive of the game is also... <laughs> it was very of, exciting. Was yeah. Very wild. Um, but yeah, final drive of the first half. You know, down 13-7. Kind of bummed. We're going to get the ball back. I was fully expecting, like, nothing out of that mm-hmm. uh, just for how the game was going and you know the for sure kind of play calls that we do nope three plays three plays later sam crawford walking in the end zone 14 13 going into half like i that was a huge game changer mm-hmm. right there and the first like, two were the first two passes they were to both to josh johnson right mm-hmm. and then the touchdown was sam yeah okay yeah. yeah and so we score 11 seconds left they take a knee we have all the momentum we come out of the half you know, we scored the first two touchdowns. Like we went three, we scored three touchdowns in a row, like unanswered Mm -hmm. between the end of the second quarter and like midway through the fourth. And so I think it was because a lot of momentum kind of changed. We saw this was one of the, like how often do we score in the first quarter? Like almost never. Um, And so we got that. We scored first. Great. And then we kind of just stopped. And part of that, so I will also say, the aggressiveness of going for it after that interception when we had uh, like mm-hmm. fourth down on the 10 or wherever it was. Uh, I am very happy that we were aggressive just because totally. Montgomery never is. And so we didn't get it. Sure. But I just really hope that that doesn't uh, stop him from going for it more in the future. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's super interesting on that point, just because like he, you know, Ohio state, the whole thing was like, man, he didn't, why aren't we you know, we're big underdogs on the road? Why aren't we doing it here? But he has he has gone for it on fourth down since then uh, in a few games. You know, it's not like he never does it. And so it's I don't know what the I don't know what his mentality is on, you know, what his strategy when we're going to do it, when we're not. Maybe it just comes down to feel for him. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, part of that is you wonder there's always some like homecoming thing. Like I remember a couple of years ago, Bill Blankenship would run these like trick plays specifically on homecoming that were, you know, if they worked, it was electrifying. And so I feel mm-hmm. like you do something like that at homecoming where everybody's already like pretty excited. You got the red jerseys, everything's looking good. Like how much that would have been a momentum. Like, I feel like we could have just exploded from there. Yeah. Um, and so Sadly, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. The issue being the play calling isn't that great, um, <laughs> yeah. especially in short yardage. So yeah, those are the, the two things uh, that I just wanted to, highlight and then like that last drive had him fourth down super excited thought we were going to stop it they got it kind of bu- kind of getting worried because they're on about the 50 and we're like oh boy this is this is gonna be a classic tulsa game nope next play interception game over super nice i know that was uh so good it was beautiful i couldn't believe it i was looking at i mean when that play happened i was like oh no oh no where's the pass interference flag i know it's coming where is it and it it never came like i feel like the whole crowd was kind of like that everybody was like standing there everybody's hands were up but like nobody was making noise for like five seconds you know it was like did this is this is it real like did it happen did we actually win a game on homecoming and yeah what do you know other than no no penalty flags came in and locked that game up it was great all right let's move to uh, players of the game you want to start us off on offensive uh, I actually don't. 
Yeah, sure. I'll start on offensive player of the game. Let you do what you want, Matt. Uh, so if it was, you know, part of me wants to give this to like Anthony Watkins, just like I mentioned it already. He had that amazing, like 44 yard touchdown run, um, had some other big runs too. Uh, but you know, he, he only had seven carries. He, he like, I, I can't give it to him just for the one incredible run, but man, that run was amazing. If you didn't watch it, like that's, that was like a sports center, top 10 caliber run. It was just incredible. Go look it up. Uh, 44 yard touchdown run, Anthony Watkins. Memphis. I'm sure you'll find it if you just Google that for a full game though. I think it comes down to a couple. Um, I'm not going to work through my reasoning here, uh, but I think, uh, I think I'm going to give it to Josh Johnson in this game. Uh, there were a couple candidates, but I think Josh wins it, uh, you know, had the nice long touchdown at the end of the game, 63 yarder or 62 or however long you said that was Matt, uh, just burner speed on that play. I mean, you know, he kind of runs. I, I said this there, and I've seen it before. He kind of runs like a horse at, at times. He kind of gets a little gallop going when he, when he gets when he's really moving, and his head kind of is bobbing forward as, as he goes, you know. Um, but man, he can freaking move, and that's what that's what he was doing on that play. He just outran that entire defense again. He caught that ball like twenty yards in, and then ran for like forty three more, you know. Uh, so huge play for him, big play, and then outside, it wasn't just a one and done. You know, he had eight catches, easily led the team in receiving yards, eight catches for one hundred forty yards. Uh, with that big touchdown. So I think he earned it on this one. Yeah. And I mean, everybody, I love Josh Johnson. Um, that would have been, he was up there for my top two and I wanted you to go first so that I, you would pick him and I wouldn't, uh, I could focus on someone else without feeling bad. Uh, Cause for me, this is Shamari Brooks show. Uh, he scored the first touchdown. He scored two touchdowns, 126 yards. We talk about, like a turnaround game for the entire team last week, two yards on eight carries against Houston this week, 126 yards, averaging almost five yards a carry. Like he looked good. He was, and this is kind of ironic uh, that I, I say this, he was the high energy player of the game, uh, according to the like stadium Williams. board. Yeah. Um, which it was just funny because they announced that literally right after the Anthony Watkins run, which was super high energy. Um, I thought that was no. I thought it was after a Josh Johnson touchdown. Oh, is catch, that what right? it was? Okay, I couldn't remember yeah. which one of the two it was, but it was like I'm right sure after. It was, that. it was right after either the Josh Johnson or the Watkins, probably the Johnson. So, um, and where like Brooks, he didn't have any outrageous runs like he has in the past. You know where he's going for sixty or ever yards. I mean, his mm-hmm. long was. 13 or something i think yeah so but like he was good about going into contact and pushing through he played well with our line actually blocking and i think really helped us establish the running game so as long as prince i who i heard was uh dressed but a game time decision ended up not playing that first drive was just brooks and you know steven anderson came in for two looked like a mm-hmm. kind of a bulldozer so i think we just I mean, we controlled so much of this game because of our running attack. And Brooks was the big part. Agreed. Take us away on defense. All right. This is so this is super tough because I feel like so for me there are two like really strong candidates. Uh, but I'm gonna go with Trayvon Fuller. We've talked about he is I wouldn't even say arguably, he is our best corner right now. Um, and I mean, he just shows it playing without a hand. He has the hand, but it's in a cast. 
Um, so I guess without fingers, I don't know. It still sounds like he's missing them, <laughs> but he gets that interception when they're just marching down the field early in the, in the first quarter returns it 44 yards. I really wish he had scored. Uh, it's another mm-hmm. one where it's like, why can't we just get to the end zone? Like not on him, yeah, but like, I know. Oh, fates. Why do you curse me? Um, <laughs> so he had that, he had two potential pick sixes. Like I was so excited. He, uh, right to him. I mean, and you wonder if maybe that is part of the cast, uh, but, you know, he had the three passes deflected. He was just locked down. Uh, and you talk about, you know, why did so many passes go to Austin? Uh, because Fuller was not on him. I think that's a big part of it. I think, uh, you know, on top of him being their best, you know, NFL caliber wide receiver, uh, Fuller just locks down everybody else. So I thought he played super well. Yeah, I, I had him too. I didn't. I don't think there's any question about defensive player of the game. He had. He clearly was the best out there. You know, you mentioned. I'm not going to reiterate all the stuff, but like it's doing all of that with the uh, with the injured hand or whatever he's dealing with. I don't know if it's a broken finger or what. Um, super impressive. And he was he was guarding Calvin Austin a decent amount of time. You know, they, it's mostly like Trayvon Fuller will line up on the left and Tyon Davis will line up on the right, and so it kind of just matters where Memphis places their guys. Tyon Davis, unfortunately, ended up on Austin a lot just because they lined him up for there. I'm sure that was intentional because Fuller seems like the better corner. Uh, but I do think it wasn't all on, uh, you know, just I don't think it was just Fuller locking him down every time. I'm, I I do remember him catching a couple, but Fuller certainly, uh, certainly was player of the game. Hell of a game from him. Um, to give it to somebody else, just to talk about some other guys who had good games. Uh, I think Justin Wright had a hell of a game. I think Jackson Player had a hell of a game. Um, both those guys, uh, had a sack, uh, Jackson player came down one and a half, um, right. Also two tackles for loss, 14 total tackles. I think, I, I think led the team. Let me double check on that. He did. Yep. Led the team in tackles. Uh, so he just looked good. I mean, you saw him out there. Uh, he certainly lives the, lives the psycho vibe. He's got the tattoo on his knee. He was, he was banging his helmet around a lot of that game. Uh, missed a tackler too. He gets very mad about it when he misses one. You can tell. Um, but he definitely, I mean, he plays with a lot of energy out there. I always, always like that. And then a player as usual, making plays in the backfield, always causing trouble a couple times, rocking the baby. You saw him out there doing that, uh, had a big game. So I think both those guys close second, I don't know about a close second, but I think they're, they're clearly, I, w- I would put them in the second tier after Fuller's amazing game this game. All right. And I'll, I'll kick us off on special teams player of the game again. Tough to think of another one, um, but Lachlan Wilson had a, had a great one. Uh, he did have one bad punt that was like you know five yards, like ten yards, whatever that whatever that kind of shanked one off the side of his foot was. That also almost got blocked. They they almost blocked a couple punts that game on us. Uh, fortunately, neither of them ended up getting there. But I think that's probably to blame for that short punt. Uh, but besides that one that brought the average way down. Uh, he had some boomers like one of them, I think as long was 64 yarder. I could have sworn it was longer than 64. I mean, this kick looked like it was 70, 80 yard kick, man. It was a, it was huge. Like, Oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it. Just really banged it. And then his average, I think in total was in the, in the forties or, uh, let me pull it up. Yeah. 44 yard average, 64 yard long. Uh, just a great game for him. I thought he did well, handled the pressure in his face mostly well, except for that one bad kick. Uh, but that's really the only knock on him this game. He had some he had some punts in there that really saved us. Like we were pretty deep at a couple of those, and he boomed some of them that get, gave us pretty solid field position on defense. So I'm giving it to Lachlan. Okay, I'm ready to um, give up on my strike. All right, I've got, a, I've got a special teams player of the week. This is a good one. Nice. My, so my special teams player of the week is David Kemp, kicker from Memphis. 
Uh, he missed two kicks. Does that count as a boycott, though? You're not picking a Tulsa one. I think that's. Right. I think you're running your boycott still. All right. Well, okay. Then I am because David <laughs> Kemp is the special teams player that had the most impact on this game. He missed seven points. We won by six points. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, I forgot. One of them was a uh, was just an extra point. Yeah, I totally. That totally slipped yeah, my mind. Yeah, the punter yeah, missed right the, the beginning. Other field goal. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Keep the keep the strike alive until proven otherwise, and this is a good way to give one without uh, breaking the strike. So very nice. All right, anything else on this game before we switch over and talk to Rob Stieg? Uh, just wear the red jerseys a little more frequently than once every thirteen years. Man, the Reds were so cool. Uh, yes, they, they were. They were very nice. I think you know we we were talking about it during the game, and I think a good thing we should do is never wear the blacks again, which I don't think we really do. I think I haven't seen the blacks in several years now, since like 2018. But I think anytime if we ever think we're gonna maybe wear the blacks again, just don't. Just wear the Reds instead. The Reds should be the new black. Like, why not do that? Yeah. We we I already have. Like- incorporate the helmet from the black jerseys some some way oh my god i mean how, how cool would it be i know the red is like supposed to be the 50s throwback thing and maybe the black helmet would throw that off but just i don't know the red jersey with like the black helmet with the red flags you know how you can make that look really cool i i would love to see that i i don't i feel like it, this might just be a one-off thing um ah man you make you make those jerseys for like a one-off uh, i don't know i feel like they went to make such a big deal about like the secrecy behind it which is either it was a rush job or um like it's a bigger like big deal so i'm hoping it's the latter yeah i don't know because like so many tulsa is not really one to to do a one jersey and throw it away so hopefully that's the case but like so many so many programs you know kind of do that they like have because they can afford uh, to yeah exactly yeah that's what i'm saying tulsa is not really one to to have that luxury um, so hopefully we'll see him again. And you, you mentioned the thing is, was it a rush job? That was the first thing I thought when we got there too, because it was like, there were no names on the back. There was no Tulsa script on the Jersey or the helmet, all this stuff. And I was like, Oh, this is uh, maybe they just kind of put this together last minute. But I think, I think I was wrong in my first, my first thought. And I think looking back at the 1950 jerseys, which is what these were supposed to replicate, not the 2008 jerseys. Um, there was no Tulsa script on either. Uh, this was pretty much what they looked like minus the numbers on the helmet. I think, um, I don't think those were on the originals from the fifties. So I loved them. I thought they looked great. The, the promo pictures when they first like teased it out, looked incredible. I thought they looked great on the field too. The gold helmet with the red number on the side, I thought it was a nice touch. Uh, so hopefully we'll bring them back. It seems like I'd be surprised, honestly, if we saw them again this year, maybe it'll just be a homecoming like tradition now. And we'll just keep them for ball homecoming. Game. What? Wear them in the bowl game. Wear them. Yeah, I don't know. That's a uh, yeah, that could be that could be I could I could see them wanting to wear blue and gold just because bowl game is like you're you're going to get some people watching that don't normally watch TU and you might want to rep your, you know, your standard colors and try to put the brand to the to the colors here. I would love to see them more often than once a year. Don't get me wrong. I just I, I if I were if I were to bet on it, I bet it's like a homecoming game a year maximum. All right, uh, let's move on. Let's do our South Florida preview. And to do that, we are bringing on Rob Stieg from the Daily Stampede. Uh, I mentioned this when we talked to him, but man, we had him on last year and had a blast. So really psyched to talk to him again. Uh, He's going to break down the balls for us. Struggle to start the year, but they got a lot of young talent on that team. So we're going to ask him about them, ask him about Scott Frost, Scott Frost, Jeff Scott. Uh, That's the second time I mixed up South Florida with a UCF uh, something. So we're going to talk to him about all of that stuff. Uh, really enjoy it. And hopefully you guys get something out of it too. 
All right, and we are here with Rob Steeg. We had Rob on last year. Uh, really had a, had fun with him. Had really enjoyed bringing him on. Uh, so had to bring him back for this season. Rob is a contributor for the Daily Stampede, also a co-host for the Bulluminati podcast, one of the best podcast names that I I know of in my little podcast sphere. Uh, so Rob, thanks for joining the show. How you been? I'm oh, thanks for having us having me, guys. No, it's been a it's been great. It's been a, an eventful college football season. Uh, it was nice to have a bye week. Uh, and boy, did, was there some good football games to watch yesterday. So it was a uh, it was an enjoyable time to uh, to not have to worry about a, a win or a loss. So definitely a, a good year so far for for basically entertaining. Uh, I'm looking forward to like a 2007 level of college football this year. Yeah, and to add on to the entertainment, at least on the Bulls side, you guys just got the home field apparel drop. I know uh, a few days ago. Um, I can't tell if the shirt you're wearing is a is a home field shirt or not, but I'm extremely jealous of, of that whole thing. Are you happy with the Bulls <laughs> options out there? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, you know, it's it's for anyone that's been following me on Twitter. I'm sure you've seen me tweet at home field at least you know three or four times a week, and they there was a lot of work that had to get done on the back end, especially for USF's uh, 25th year. Uh, playing college football you know they there was a lot of hoops that they had to jump through and you know licensing to go out and whatnot so finally happy we could experience the the home field vintage apparel with premium quality uh, unfortunately this isn't uh it's a it's a raised shirt you know we're in the middle of a uh, of baseball postseason and uh things aren't really going our way right now so i'm hoping we can get a little magic there going as well yeah, very nice. I was, uh, I, I feel you, man. Like, I, I want that stuff really bad, too, for Tulsa. Is Tulsa still waiting on a home field drop? Not sure if it's ever going to happen. Uh, but I am giving literally all of the USF Bulls home field credit to you and in your tweets alone. So hopefully we can. <laughs> I'm going to try to pick up my uh, my tweeting at home field game and see if that gets us anywhere. But uh, I doubt You guys it probably bit. have some amazing vintage stuff with, with that yeah. Hurricane logo. <laughs> it, it's, I, I mean, there's got to be some archive stuff from, like, 1910. Some oh, yeah. like homecoming like shirt that like will never get used again that they just they're like, oh, yeah, home field. You guys can have this. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, Matt. Matt was our was a, the sports editor for the Collegian back when we were in college. And so he still has access to like the student newspaper from, you know, all, all the years back. And you were Matt, you could you could talk about it just just a little bit. But you were looking at some years, some history back there, right? Yeah, I've been just like digging and trying to uh, I had like a little thread on Friday of all these random logos that I could find, whether they were uh, passports editors or, I mean, we used to have a anthropomorphic furry hurricane with like, it kind of looked like Wichita state shocker uh, mascot. Was that the troll one? Like, the one that I said looked like trolls. Yeah. 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 It was yeah. The troll one. So oh, then yeah. <laughs> at some point, I guess they, uh, somebody complained about it being too hot and too heavy. So they just lopped off like half its head to cut down on the weight. Um, and so it looks way better in color. Yeah, obviously like yellow is a little less frightening, but it kind of looks like it belongs in the, uh, uh, where the wild things are. So, I mean, I would love that on a shirt or, I mean, honestly, if home field can do Halloween costumes, uh, just give me that hurricane. <laughs> no doubt. Just dress up like that. Oh, that'd be great. All right. Let's talk some USF football a little bit before we get too off track here. Uh, so Cade Fortin. Talk of the talk of the preseason. Name the starting quarterback uh, before the season started. Now Timmy McLean has stepped in. Seems to be the guy, uh, and looks like he's going to be the guy for the foreseeable future. Completing almost sixty percent of his passes. Um, 
as we we talked a little bit about before we started recording here, but he has the lone touchdown pass thrown by any USF quarterback this season. So one touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, what do you think of McLean so far? What happened with Cade Fordon? Uh, just give us a breakdown on the whole on the whole USF quarterback situation. Yeah. Uh, so kind of plain and simple, we knew Timmy was going to eventually take the starting role. If you watched his film coming out of uh, Seminole High School over in Sanford, which is just uh, just a hair above Orlando, you know, I have no idea why he wasn't recruited in that area very well. But he he had that it factor in high school. He led his uh, undefeated Seminole High School to a state championship his senior year. And you could just kind of there was something about him, his, his fluidity, his throwing motion. And even in the spring, there were times that they were showing highlights of spring practice and I mean, it was the stupidest thing. It was a drill that they were just kind of practicing with the quarterbacks, just throwing fades in the back of the end zone. And they showed highlights of Timmy hitting uh, a fade basically like in a in a garbage can in the back corner of the end zone from about five yards out, throwing it consistently like three or four times in a row. And you kind of see that and you're like, yeah, as a freshman, like that's pretty impressive. And it, it's, it's he's fun to watch and he's got that elusive factor. And you'll hear this all day through usf fans is that he looks and plays kind of like quentin flowers he even goes by q timmy mcclain goes by q <laughs> nice. he wears number nine he's elusive he likes to make make you know extend plays with his feet to to throw a deeper pass downfield there's so many fans that just compare him to q and it's like no no no. we need to we need to end the comparisons there he's going to be a different quarterback there's there's things that are happening there but as a freshman, he's been impressive, and he's done a very good job of taking care of the football above all else. Uh, those two interceptions that you mentioned, they both happened in the NC State game. It just looked like it was just needed a little bit more time to just understand the routes. And obviously, you know, your first collegiate game being at NC State, not the friendliest of environments, so you can kind of forgive an 18-year-old for, for making a mistake there. But going to Cade, you know, he was a guy that was – handpicked by jeff scott when jeff scott came to usf i mean jeff scott got introduced on like a thursday he was making a call to cade for on that saturday he actually funnily enough and it, it's a fun story that goes around in the usf circle was he went he made an appearance at a tempe lightning game on that saturday he had to step out during the middle of a lightning game to make a phone call to cade fortin to just kind of talk with him and be like hey you know we think we can build something special here and Fortin definitely does have some of the intangible stuff. Something's just not clicking with him. And it, it, it started last year. He just couldn't stay healthy. He couldn't get the, onto the playing field enough. And, you know, we all saw his injury last year against Tulsa. And you just kind of knew something wasn't right. And before the season, he missed playing time. And then coming into this year, just he just couldn't get the timing right with his receivers. And it was ultimately frustrating. But he's one of those guys that just wants to – help lead and help get the next guy up as best as he possibly can. So I know he's sitting there, you know, coaching Timmy on the sidelines as well. He's, he's been a great kind of asset for USF one way or another. And we hear a lot about uh, a freshman kind of power combo out of USF, or at least I do uh, just with my Twitter feed going on and kind of what I, what I see when I watch some of the games. Um, one of those is Timmy McLean, like we just talked about. The other guy uh, is freshman wide receiver, Jimmy Horn. How good is Jimmy Horn? And really, I know there's a lot of youth on this team. How good is the young core in general for USF? And who else is there on this offense that we should watch out for? Yeah, I mean, the, the Timmy to Jimmy connection is one of those things that I think USF fans have been yearning for for a long time. Uh, first off, great rhyming. 
Uh, it's it's <laughs> perfect. You can make so many things from it. It's it's exactly what you need. But they have the connection that goes back to the high school days, and so they don't have to worry about the cadence of you know his breaking route. You know the the game against SMU last week. There was a few times that coming right off of a post, I mean the ball was right there in Jimmy Horn's hands, and you kind of don't get that most times with a, a new freshman quarterback with maybe an experienced wide receiver. You know they they may not be step in step just yet, but luckily Timmy and Jimmy have that connection already, and they've been playing together for quite a long time. And back in their Seminole days, I mean, you could look Timmy to Jimmy up on on Twitter. You can search for it, and there's just highlight reel touchdowns of just you know seventy five yard bombs, and it, it it's it's all fun to watch. But the great thing about Jimmy is that he's he's got the speed and the explosiveness coming out of routes that. USF fans haven't had for like two years. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 really kind of got hampered by Charlie Strong a little bit recruiting these big lanky receivers who, you know, on a one-on-one matchup on a goal line fade, you know, of course you want a six-four guy out there to, you know, make a catch, but that requires you to get to the five yard line to do stuff yeah. like that. So it, it's definitely great to have these speedy receivers that just, you know, want to make a play and and give it to them on a jet sweep, give it to them on a curve, give it to them on a screen and you know, they'll make a play. And then outside of, of Jimmy, you have a guy like Xavier Weaver, another young guy, a sophomore, again, recruited right outside of Orlando. Don't know why, he, you know, was recruited as lightly as he, as he was, but he's kind of come in and made those big explosive down the field plays that USF fans have just like been waiting for since, you know, Quentin Flowers is throwing them to Marquez Valdez Scantling. And then in our backfield as well, not just Jaron Manga, but guys like Brian Batie and, and Kelly Joyner, more young guys, sophomores and, and freshmen that are just coming in and making playing time. I mean, the, the youth core is definitely there at skill positions for USF. How big of a jump do you think so far this season has that young core made? Are they still pretty raw or do they look pretty, you know, is every game it's it's pretty obvious that they're getting kind of where they need to be? It, it's it's coming, it's flashes. Um, Xavier Weaver's made a few great plays. Jimmy Horn went for 100 yards against SMU, but I mean, there are times that Timmy's missed a few throws and he's just a few steps off from making a big play. I mean, the the game against SMU, I think, ended 41-17. You make one or two more plays and that game's probably like a 41 to 35 game. It's it, it would it would look a lot closer. So mm-hmm. they're they're making the big flashy plays and, and getting into space, but they're still young. They're still freshmen. They'll still make their mistakes like we all kind of expect them to. Mm-hmm. But it, it's kind of nice for them to at least, you know, go to make the plays. You know, it's, it's you know, pulling your hair up, frustrating whenever they, they miss a route by like this much. But I, I find a little bit of assurance that, you know, maybe in a year or two, that's a touchdown pass. And now this this electric offense is back and it, it's a lot more fun to watch. So they'll they'll make a few flash plays here and there. But boy, is it not consistent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you mentioned the SMU game and it kind of got away from you at the end. Could have been could have been closer than it, than it was, I think. One game that was actually really close was the BYU game, which really caught me off guard just as a, you know, a, a standby viewer. Uh, what happened in the BYU game that made that so close? I didn't actually get to watch any of the actual game. You know, I saw some mm-hmm. of the box score stuff, but I didn't see how it went down live. Yeah, and, and you know, all credit to, to Timmy McLean that game because that was his first career start on the road. I mean, Provo, Utah, so yeah. a Florida kid playing in elevation, not mm-hmm. the most ideal circumstance. Yeah. Uh, a, a very stout defense, a very tough you know, environment to play, and also loud as hell. I mean, BYU students get loud for those games no matter who they're playing. And they had all the momentum going into that game of, of you know knocking off tough opponents. And the big thing that 
Nate and Seth and myself talked about going into that game was you're going to get punched in the mouth. Like they are going to come out and they're going to score. How do you react to that? That's where USF has struggled in the past. And we looked at that Notre Dame game last year uh, during the COVID 2020 season. And, you know, they got punched in the mouth the first three drives. They gave up, you know, a blocked punt. Everything that could have gone wrong in the first three drives went wrong. And then in, at this, you know, the the BYU game, first three drives, basically everything went wrong. We we fumbled a snap on fourth and one to, you know, or we, we gave up a touchdown on four plays in the opening drive. So offense has to go out there. They get stalled out of fourth and one and fumble. Then BYU scores on the next, you know, four plays later. So you're like, all right, this isn't great. And then you're in a 21 nothing hole. And that's when, you know, we're all firing off tweets. We're all firing off memes like, oh, God, like, you know, dead in the water at BYU. This is great. But <laughs> something something clicked on offense. And it, it's it's Timmy being like calm and cool and collective. And the thing I love about him and he and his coach will will correct you every time on Twitter. He is not a dual threat quarterback. He is a pocket passer quarterback by nature. He wants to throw the ball. He doesn't look to run. He wants to extend plays with his feet so that he can, you know, make the throws. And that's kind of what he did. You know, we we ended up having to wear down BYU on on offense, which is unheard of. In the third quarter, I think we did a like a 94-yard touchdown um, drive for like 19 plays. Nice. I had never heard USF <laughs> ever doing that. Yeah. And it was just, you know, a mixture of ground plays and and you know, good chunk pass plays and like I mean, if, if you're a football coach, that was like your dream scenario mm-hmm. right there. You know, the unfortunate part is we couldn't stop a nosebleed on, on defense. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, we had to do an onside kick with five minutes left because that's our best chance of getting back into the game. But, you know, the all credit to the coaching staff and the players. I mean, you go down in a 21 nothing hole on the road to a ranked opponent, you know, yeah. hey, let's get back on the plane sooner rather than later at that point. Yeah, no doubt. And you mentioned uh, not being able to stop a nosebleed in that game. Let's talk a little bit about the defense, who has who's definitely struggled uh, in the season so far. I think I don't know if SP Plus rankings have come out yet. I don't think so for for after this week's games. But last week, at least, uh, South Florida was 112th. So I don't know much about the USF defense to be honest. I know some of the big time names out there like Dwayne Boyles and Anthony Greer who've been there for a while. Um, but what explain you know what what's going on with the defense? Uh, is it is it a lack of depth really, or, or is it uh, again just kind of a symptom of a young group? It's the unfortunate part. It's not a young group. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, that's kind of what I um, thought. Okay. Yeah, so there's a lot of experience in in the defense, but we're, we're getting plagued by injuries, and I think that's kind of across the board in cultural ball this year. Uh, before the season, uh, Kansas State transfer Will Jones went down with an ACL injury. You know, he was the guy that was supposed to come in and be our starting safety. You know, the, the kind of the, the heart and soul of the defense right there. You know, before the season, you know, this defensive line that we have, which we run a 3-3-5, is made up predominantly of seniors and grad players right now. I think there's about six, like, guys mm-hmm. that are on their last go-round. And, you know, they, they filled a great void when, you know, Charlie Strong came in and, and Jeff Scott needed guys to come in as a replacement. But the youth haven't been able to get, you know, their 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 reps in there. We have two young guys on that line with Tramel Logan and Jamari Stewart, a transfer from Mississippi State, who just they're getting kind of lost in the shuffle. And, you know, guys like Thad Mangum and, and Brian Thaxton and um, Blake Green, you know, they're great players. They're great guys, but they're just you you want the young guys to kind of step in. You want these young sophomores to to elevate their game, but they're kind of stuck behind a rotation there. 
linebackers again, you know, we're, we're bumping through injuries every once in a while. And then, you know, secondary, we're still, like I said, dealing with injuries and, you know, guys like Matthew Hill an Auburn transfer who has very little playing time at safety was originally created as a wide receiver, but switched over to defense. He's had to step into play um, at SMU. I think we started a walk on defensive back because guys like Christian Williams weren't playing. Yeah. yeah there, there's just a lot of injuries in that secondary. And so, as everyone knows, if, if your secondary can't cover, it doesn't matter what's happening in the, in the front seven at that point. So USF is in a very unfortunate injury you know, spot. And boy, that bye week couldn't have come at a better time to get some players back. Yeah. Uh, so we got to ask a question. We went on Houston's Scott and Holman podcast last week, and I liked one of the questions they asked us. So I'm going to ask the same one to you. Uh, what's a name that we haven't, you know, we haven't mentioned yet on offense or defense. That's kind of an under the radar, under the radar guy that sticks out to you as a kind of a key piece of this team. So on offense, um, Brian Batie is a guy that just, he's so close to being ready for these home run runs. Like, you know, they, Jared Bangham's kind of your, your goal line bruiser you know, with nine touchdowns for like, you know, 35 yards, of course, that's what he's going to be doing. But right. Brian Batie will occasionally just blow the lid off. You know, you get him on like a like an outside zone or a jet sweep or something, and he will take the top off. He hasn't quite done it yet. He's got like 20 to 30 yard chunk plays every once in a while. You know, he usually will get tripped up by like some safety that's making like a diving attempt. But like he's he's electric out of the backfield and he is fun to watch on defense. I, I mean, I'm hoping Christian Williams comes back because he was a guy that we were really kind of high on to lead and give some experience. He got a, a good amount of playing time at Miami and we're kind of, we're hoping that he's going to come back into the rotation so that he can start making plays here and there. But you know, this, this defense is so just, they need to become healthy and that's mm -hmm. the unfortunate part. But like you can pick either Christian Williams or Brock Nichols, uh, Brock Nichols is just one of those guys. I mean, it's the most cliche thing. I mean, he brings his lunch pail to work every single week. A walk-on guy that just, you know, loves to make plays, loves to hit, loves to try to find and make a, way, make a play on the ball. Uh, and he has by far the best, like, media pictures. Just, you know, after this, you guys can look at it or right now. <laughs> his pictures ever since uh, he was a transfer from, like, some small university. But just he has a, a basically like a mohawk and just – just eyes of like does the white stuff man like he he is just so fun to watch and he's just he's absolutely great but a ball hawk and he'll make a play every once in a while i just looked him up and i saw the picture and wow that is uh I, you know i didn't know who this guy was but i've seen you tweet him like tweet out gifs or memes of him or something but i've seen that face on my twitter feed before uh I assume a small you. aside from that so obviously like you know Seth, Nate, and I will do Zoom calls together to uh, talk about the game. And, you know, last year we would do our, our, you know, our calls before. And I would usually, like, try to be funny with it and, you know, change my name to something stupid. And then, of course, I would join the media scrums after on Zoom. And my name would still be the stupid name that I gave it before. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would do, like, you know, if we were playing, like, ECU, it was, like, you know, or, like, Tampa's the real Pirate Nation or something like that. And yeah. there was one that I had my picture, my background was Brock Nichols, like that picture of him. <laughs> nice. Um, and boy, did I join and immediately turn off my camera because <laughs> I saw Brock Nichols and I was like, oh, shit, I don't want Jeff to see that. Beautiful. Uh, OK, so something I definitely want to talk about is special teams. 
Tulsa has been very bad uh, in terms of punt and kick return coverage. We've let up a couple punt return touchdowns and a kick return touchdown. How is uh, USF's punt return and kick return game? Is that something we should be worried about um, as uh, as the defense kind of trying to stop those guys? I uh, so, thus far this year, it hasn't been up to fruition yet. But I think that's a credit to the teams that we have played so far. Um, obviously, you know four of the five opponents that we have played, or five of the five, four of the five, everyone we played except for Florida A&M has been ranked and is yeah. very good at this American football. So usually we'll be, you know, out talented and obviously that'll kind of roll into special teams. So we have a dedicated special teams coach, which I absolutely love. And I think every college should have a dedicated special teams coach. Um, he is a must follow. If you care anything about your Twitter feed, he's just He's a fun guy. His name's Coach DePrado. Um, but he really wants USF to take that next level step on special teams and, and really pride themselves in it. So I think if there's a time that USF is going to get a pump return, get a kick return for a touchdown, it it may be this week. Uh, I think in in, <laughs> yeah. in in special teams world, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of have a pretty good matchup here. And, and the amount of care that that guy puts into it is just uncanny. And Jimmy Horn is a guy that, takes a few kick returns and punt returns every once in a while. And he'll questionably bring it out at like a few yards deep in the end zone. You're kind of like, Jimmy, I don't know about that one. I don't know if you should take it, you know, six yards <laughs> yeah. deep like this, but he's been very close to, you know, the vision is there on these kick returns for him. Mm-hmm. So I think it might happen. And then we also blocked a kick or we blocked a field goal against uh, BYU that kind of set up that 96 yard uh, drive at the end. So you know, there there could be an opportunity for for a blocked kick, a blocked punt, uh, a kick return, or something here. Nice. Uh, so I think I saw that Tulsa opened up as a nine point favorite in this game. Um, came out today. So just thinking about you know what can what what what's gonna what can South Florida do to make this a game? You know, make some noise and potentially get the win here. What are the keys you think that they need to do to to make that happen? Oh man, they need they need this defense to be healthy. <laughs> they need, they, need, a, they <laughs> yeah. need that new ACL. Uh, you know, two week out <laughs> surgery. No, but yep. ultimately it's, it's get back to these explosive plays because we, we kind of touched on it before USF hasn't had these explosive touchdown plays. They've had explosive plays. They just get down to the five yard line because, you know, mm-hmm. Xavier Weaver makes a great catch and coverage or, you know, Brian Batie busts like a 30 yard touchdown or not a 30 yard run and gets us to the five. And then Jared Mangum, nine touchdowns, you know, 57 yards, like, you know, the, the bowling ball machine that he is. But if USF is able to make like an explosive touchdown or two, you know, I think that's where US, I think that's where USF can, can create kind of havoc there. And then havoc on defense is also the key thing, you know, going into that SMU game, we, we talked about that's how we're going to be able to stay within that game is make Tanner Mordecai, make a mistake. Mm-hmm. He'll do it every once in a while, but you know, it's getting a sack, getting a tackle for loss, you know, getting them behind the sticks at some point is what we needed to do. And it happened. Uh, I think we were credited as the first team that sacked Tanner Mordecai this year. Nice. Um, which I would never have bet on <laughs> yeah. knowing that we were in a three man front, but you know, it, it's stuff like that is, is what USF needs to do. And you know, it's, it's nice to not be a 20 point underdog for once, <laughs> not yeah. to play an undefeated team and, you yeah. know, play a home game. Um, but I, I think there's a few factors that play into USF's favor this week. You know, I, I'm not confident enough to be like, oh, yeah, USF by like 55 here or anything like that. But, you know, I, I think this will be a pretty close game. You know, a, a noon kickoff mm-hmm. in Tampa. 
<laughs> is hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> like sure. We're, 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 you know, early October. I'm sure the weather's beautiful for you guys. I mean, it was like 97. <laughs> like yeah. the poor Bucks game was, you know, these players are sweating. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we might have a little bit of favor there that all of our guys are from Florida and they, you know, played in this weather for a while. So, you know, there, there might be some fun, but you know, we're all, uh, we're young teams still, they're going to make their mistakes. So we'll, we'll see kind of how that, that ends up playing on who's favorite at this point. Yeah, I do think it's going to be a close game. I think there's a lot of potential for USF. Like you mentioned, it's been a, it's been a hell of a schedule for y'all. And it feels like, you know, they're waiting for a game to kind of all these young guys on offense, at least to kind of to kind of boom, you know, and, and see how it goes all at the same time. So hopefully that doesn't happen against us. Uh, but I could I could I, I am a little bit worried about that uh, that going down. <laughs> it's they're they're kind of pointing to these next two games for USF. And I think the over under wins for this year was like three and a half, four. Mm-hmm. And everyone was kind of pointing like, all right, you know, they're going to lose pretty much to those first four teams or those first four ti- first five teams and then that Florida A&M. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, then then you get like a, a Tulsa and a Temple back to back. And not to say that Tulsa is bad or anything like that. That was a great win against Memphis. But comparatively, I think USF has a better chance against Tulsa than they do against, I don't know, Florida. Yeah, <laughs> no <laughs> Just, doubt. You know. Not not trying to fire off a spicy take just yet, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's get to a little bit of spice here. A, a couple meta questions at the end. Um, one about Jeff Scott. So I know we talked about this on Twitter a little bit uh, a couple weeks back. Somebody had him on, on the or some I think it was the Athletic had him like you know potentially on the hot seat, which was which was confusing. So Jeff Scott, uh, two and twelve as a head coach, uh, one and eight last season. He's off to a one and four start this year. Um, doesn't I? It doesn't feel to me like there should be any legitimate heat on that seat. But I do wonder if fans uh, ha, are, kind of buy into that narrative at all, and are you know are fans still really feeling the Jeff Scott train, or are people starting to ask questions for him? What do, What do you think about him so far? So I love him. Uh, full disclosure, I'm very <laughs> biased towards him. He's 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 very very genuine as a head coach. You know, mm-hmm. after dealing with Charlie Strong, Charlie Strong is a great guy wonderful linebackers coach just not very well spoken uh, at mm-hmm. times and you know some of his post-game pressers were very questionable but jeff has this different sort of energy about him when he walks into the per like walk walks into you know the team huddle walks into the locker room or anything like that there's you know we've, we've talked to a few players about it there's this culture change that happened this offseason you know th- this wasn't like your typical like you know, new coach comes into the system and, you know, re-energizes the fan base or anything like that. It was like the players started to, and for you Ted Lasso fans out there, he Ted Lassoed himself into this locker room, like just with his demeanor and his, his positive energy and everything like that. He'll tell it how it is most times, which is just absolutely refreshing. There are a very loud minority of fans that have Jeff Scott on the hot seat right now. You know, it, obviously the record kind of, if you look at the black and white of it, you know, he hasn't beaten an FBS team, FBS team. We haven't beaten an FBS team in like 720, 730 days, whatever yeah. it is. I think our last win was, I couldn't even tell. I couldn't even tell you when it was. <laughs> right. I was probably there. But regardless, like the, I think what's ending up happening is the fan base, a certain amount of the fan base is just, we're tired of losing everyone kind of gets there at some point it's you know charlie strong's you know were we not seven to no moment for yep. usf has just spiraled us down <laughs> right. into this void of of you know fbs basement dweller 
which isn't a great place to be, especially when Big 12 realignment's going around and yep. all these other things. So you're trying to make up for it by building an on-campus stadium and indoor practice facility and everything. But, you know, there are, I mean, every if you talk to most people around the program, they're all going to say the same thing about Jeff Scott. He will turn around the program. There's a reason why Clemson is not very good at football right now. You know, they're okay still, but there's a reason they're not great. And a lot of people are pointing, and even Dabo's kind of hinted at it. Losing Jeff Scott in Clemson's program is kind of hurting them. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the main play caller, but he was kind of that guy that he he knew what to do in the locker room. And so, you know, putting him on the hot seat, I think as like an outsider makes sense, you know, two wins in two years and you know you didn't look that great against you know smu and there's a lot of questions surrounding oh why isn't the defense playing well but then when you get down to the nitty-gritty numbers and you know we remember last year there was a fucking pandemic going on (laughs) and he never actually recruited he came in like in december and early signing day was like a week later so Mm. you know have fun salvaging a class of six guys that are committed (laughs) to the program so you know I, i think contextually you have to remember he never really got off the ground and he was given like the absolute shell of a car and he was expected to turn it into a Ferrari again. Mm-hmm. So here's a question for you. Does UCF or does USF? I'm sorry. I can't, I can, wow. I mixed up the, the arch rival team here. It happens so much. I don't even give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Does USF make a bowl game next season? Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Nice. I, you know, I'm willing. I'm willing to put it on the record now that they will. There is a lot of good, ta- good young talent around the team right now. Mm-hmm. These injury, this injury to the secondary, is just absolutely just not doing us any favors. And the issues along, you know, the defensive front, you could potentially fix most of that. You know, in the transfer portal and JUCO level. You know, you need a guy. Who, you need someone to come in basically along this defensive line and, and front seven to just kind of come in with experience and you know start you know beating up on people along that that defensive line but you know i'm i'm willing to put myself out there that timmy's going to make a lot of strides this offseason you know getting more experience getting you know additional wide receivers to transfer in or whatnot and i think that you know usf should be able to make a bowl game next year um at our, at our recent podcast last year with, with the bluminati podcast or last week i should say with the uh, bluminati podcast i mentioned that you know they could still make a bowl game this year. It's mm-hmm. not likely, but they could. You know, the AAC is is wide open this year, fortunately. Um, well, wide open aside from yeah. you know, number three in the country, <laughs> Cincinnati. But, right. you know, from, from two down, it's been very volatile. You know, mm-hmm. Temple beats Memphis. You guys beat Memphis. Memphis beats up on, you know, UCF probably. Like, you know, there, there's a chance that USF could run the table here and win, you know, the next five games. You know, there's an ultimate culmination. I don't want that to happen because the culmination is going to have to happen at the UCF game. And I don't want that. <laughs> I don't yeah. want them to, to lead the series and also knock us out of getting to a bowl game. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think ultimately, you know, the goals are still ahead of them on what they're looking for this year. Jeff Scott's been preaching it since day one. The goal is to win a conference championship. Don't think that'll happen this year, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we, we could still, you know, run a table and make it make it next year and, you know, God bless once Cincinnati leaves this fucking conference, we should be able to win. <laughs> we, we might be able to win a conference championship after that. 
Now I hear you. It definitely feels like, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it seems like next year is kind of the year. Maybe, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe they'll pull something around uh, out of nowhere this year and, and do the thing. But uh, yeah, it feels like next year is kind of the one that everyone's looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So last thing that I've got, um, you know, you mentioned the realignment stuff. So I wanted to wanted to just get your feelings about that whole situation. So UCF obviously taking off a uh, big rival leaving the conference. Um, what are your just thoughts on, you know, losing that rivalry? Do you think, uh, do you think, I know, you know, USF's been kind of down for a little bit, but do you think they should have been more included in that conversation or, or do you think they, uh, you know, deserve to be left out kind of how they were? Um, you know, I think it's going to depend on who you talk to around the USF circle. Um, you know, the, the the fans that have been, you know, around for a little while, they they will say we deserve to be left behind at that point. You know, the, the people that have, we, you know, the history of USF isn't the most glorious. Um, Judy Ginshaft wasn't the most greatest president ever. We'll meme it yeah. to death. But, you know, she was so focused on the academic side of things that you forget that, you know, most kids want to also go to college football games and, we missed so many opportunities from 2002 to 2021 to strike iron while it was hot. Mm-hmm. You look at that 2007 season, we should have put shovels in the ground the second that we were ranked number two because we could have fundraised that indoor practice facility and not be behind schedule like this. Mm-hmm. You know, you look in 2016 when, you know, Quinn Flowers was running through teams that's the time that you start fundraising for an on-campus stadium because you have the indoor practice facility. But there was just so much negligence and so much neglect to this athletic program, not just the football program, athletics as a whole, that we were just sorely missed and then just poor leadership. And part of me was, you know, hopeful when I kept on hearing this realignment talk that, you know, with UCF going, UCF was going to go one way or another. We all knew Mm -hmm. it. We all knew it was going to happen that, Terry Mahogier and, and you know the UCF faithful would say, we need USF to come with us because geographically it makes more sense. Rivalry-wise, it makes sense. But to hear him come out after and say, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to leave. And also, we're not going to do you know the war on I-4 anymore. We're, you know, the rivalry is not going to be picked up every single year. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest slap in the face that I think, you know, th- th- there's a level of disrespect that Judy Ginchev had when we blocked UCF from joining the Big East way back when. That's one thing, but to flat out say like, oh yeah, we're not going to play them anymore. Like that's, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of bitter berries on that side, but you know, all, all credit to UCF. They built up the national brand that they, you know, so recognize and they will have so much fun sending their volleyball team to Provo, Utah and having to send their soccer team to Lubbock, Texas. And oh my gosh, it's going to be absolutely great sending your softball team to Iowa State. It's just, <laughs> it's it's so good for your bottom line. And, you know, the Big 12 is just going to continue to be a power conference, you know, in all, in all, in all perspective of, you know, the three people that care about the Big 12. Um, I, I, you know, it, I think people were looking at the Big 12 with rose-colored lenses. I think we're going to see the Big 12 kind of fade a little bit into obscurity. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a lot of value there. But with realignment and everything happening, you know, it, it's it's not the prettiest thing. I think we're about to get the curtain raised on stuff and we'll enjoy college football and college athletics as long as we possibly can. Who knows what's going to happen in five years? Because, man, it's the SEC is, is holding all the dice and they're holding all the cards. And once that one domino falls of and I'll, I'll preach until the day I die, the second that they decide to kick out a conference member. It's done. College football is, you know, the charade is the charade is over. We can stop pretending like it's all on even playing field. <laughs> yeah, right. 
but it, it just it's the ugliest looking thing right now it's you know I, I don't know what's going to result of there's rumors that the sec might be going pod and the big 10 is thinking about doing the same thing mm-hmm. and if you go pods you might as well not even do college football playoff at that point because you already know it's going to be you know sec champ or sec semifinals is going to be your yeah semifinals and mm-hmm. then you know your championship game is going to be you know it's going to be whoever against the big the big 10 victor at that point i don't foresee an acc school you know being able to pick up the the dice that clemson's leaving behind the pac 12 is is remaining where it's at because regionally there is just so many there's so much in those population areas that they're going to remain relevant mm-hmm. but i mean we're we're staring down the barrel of you know the sec big 10 invitational for college football playoff at this point and it's just it's fun you know i enjoy i enjoy watching the college football playoff and i enjoy bowl games bowl games are the absolute lifeblood of of college (laughs) athletics right now because there's very few times that you get to see like i don't know arkansas state play rutgers or something like that it's just it's (laughs) fun to see these weird quirky matchups and that's what i live for is these weird quirky matchups I'd love if when the American looks to expand, I would love more regional. Mm-hmm. I would love schools like Georgia Southern, Georgia State, UAB. UAB, Mike Oresco should be on the phone with UAB every single day being like, hey guys, we're ready for you. Anytime you say, <laughs> yeah. you say you're ready, we're ready for you. You know, I feel like UAB. Yeah, I feel like UAB has got to be. I feel like that one's done. You know, I I think they're just trying to come up with Plan B slash C now that you know Air Force and Colorado State and all that uh, didn't work out. But man, I at least I I'm hoping that UAB is a done deal. Now they're trying to pin down, you know, maybe a Georgia Southern or a UTSA or, or a Charlotte or a Marshall or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, yeah, it's it's you know I I think when people were going about that Air Force Colorado State thing, you know, I, I mentioned it on Twitter. It's like it's like people forget Olympic sports exist. I know it's man. like, yeah, it'd be, I would love to play Colorado state in football. I love a home and home with Colorado state. That'd be mm-hmm. so great. I would feel terrible sending our men's soccer team to Colorado state. Yeah. Putting them on a bus and <laughs> getting them yeah. there. Yeah. Like pardon. <laughs> it's not all, it's not all about football. y'all. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. other sports too. Contrary yeah. to this podcast, you know, of course we, you know, football is the main driver here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay. So you were talking about, um, you know, a lot that USF hasn't done in the past and, you know, UCF kind of saying that they're going to dump the I-4. Has this kind of wave of conference realignment, you think, uh, given anybody a kick in the pants to actually up USF's game? Like you talk about the indoor facility, like now it might be coming around or Mm -hmm. should be, but is there anything else that's kind of university is saying? Yeah, um, there's a few things that have been happening kind of behind the scenes and talks and everything like that. Um, The indoor practice facility was the first step on like a three step process that USF had to re-energize athletics a bit. The biggest part of it all was that we needed presidential push and power as well. Judy Ginshaft, lover to death, but everything that athletics did was just gravy on top for her. It was never about, you know, actually investing in athletics. It was, Oh cool. Athletics is doing well. Anyways, like here, here we are trying to get to preeminent status for, you know, 16 straight years. So you kind of were neglected in, in that retrospect. And, and then Mark Harlan, the athletic director before, you know, he made those indoor practice facility plans and then left us for Utah. 
So in comes Michael Kelly, who has been just the absolute godsend. He's been the savior mm-hmm. for USF athletics over the last couple of years. And, you know, when, when the stadium gets built, when the indoor practice facility gets built, when USF wins the conference championship, it will be pointed to that hiring of Michael Kelly being the, the main driver at this point. Um, and when Texas and Oklahoma announced that they were leaving, that's when USF realized, shit, we're not ready. We're not ready for this. We know we kind of expected this to happen at some point, but we didn't expect it to happen right after a pandemic, I think. So that's when USF was like, ah, crap. So that's when, you know, we accelerated this indoor practice facility to build it, build the new locker room, which the new locker room is fantastic. And that was much needed. But there's an overall investment in athletics that comes with this new indoor practice facility to allow you know more locker room space for for the visiting teams and for our, our home teams as well so there's you know many layers to not just building a practice facility so your football team doesn't get rained out but now you know your your other sports can participate you know even rain or shine you have more locker room space and then the last hurrah of it all was during the indoor practice facility press conference will weatherford who by the way right now usf doesn't have a president so we have Raya Law, who is in the interim. She seems fantastic. But Will Weatherford is our board of trustees member, and he's kind of the guy that's been the most outspoken about it. He says the magic words of, we will build an on-campus football stadium. Mm-hmm. And then USF, within 30 seconds or less, posts the tweet, like with his, like, you know, the fancy graphics of like his face and, you know, all of his speech and everything like that. So you're sitting there, you're like, there was a little bit of coordination and typically <laughs> yeah. you don't say something like that unless you have, you know, mm-hmm. a few aces up your sleeve. So, you know, I, I'm, I dare to say that there are probably plans and they're not going to tell me because I'm on Twitter too much. I would be spilling <laughs> those plans, but I I'd be willing to bet that the, that this indoor practice facility is going to be built probably before the start of summer next year. They're not going to start it right now during football season, obviously, but they'll start it in the off season. And that on-campus stadium, I am willing to wager, will be built within probably three years. It, wow. It's it's going to go up very quickly, and they're going to find the funding some way, somehow, to build like a really nice forty-five thousand seat stadium. They'll probably use state funding and probably you know name a few classrooms in there just to just to leverage it as much as you possibly can, but. I think they know that once shovels in the ground for the indoor practice facility, plans are built for the on-campus stadium. I mean, if the ACC ever wanted to expand and you know put another school from the state of Florida on the map, USF is the first school they should be calling. There's no reason to call Florida Atlantic or Florida International at that point. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, Florida. I feel like they're uh, and Nate when he came on for our expansion, you know, podcast a few weeks back now. I mean, he didn't have anything nice to say about FAU or FIU, but I, I agree. They're they're not a, a you know even with USF kind of being being lower the last couple of years, I don't think that's that, that's any question. The level of investment still in the program is way higher in USF than it is at either of those schools. So I'd be very surprised if they if, if they somehow got picked before you. That's that's a nightmare scenario right now. Is Mike Oresco makes a call to either one of those schools? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, true. I, I just, yeah that's that's nightmare fuel for me right there like i could handle the ucf rivalry and actually no i can't really handle that they're (laughs) they're not fun um but i mean replacing ucf with fau would just 
Yeah. I'd, I'd be over it. I'd be like, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm done guys. <laughs> We're <laughs> yeah. basketball school. We're no longer following football <laughs> right. at that point. <laughs> Just nice. having our old head coach there even worse. Oh, true. Like we, yeah. Yeah. Taggart. U- USF dodged a bullet last year with those COVID cancellations because the absolute worst thing to happen was uh, that, that FAU game, Willie Taggart head coach. And then Jim Levitt was the defensive mm-hmm. coordinator. Yeah. You know, nice. we, we, we had to deal with Jim Levitt last week. Um, you know, and, and you know, the gushing yep. of older fans and everything like that, but that would have been a nightmare for me. I would, yeah. I would have been, I would have deleted, <laughs> I would have deleted Twitter. <laughs> I don't believe you. I don't believe you. <laughs> oh, well. All right, Rob. Um, well, Hey, it was awesome. That's, that's all I've got. Uh, anything you wanted to touch on before we let you go here? Um, home field magic is alive and well, uh, <laughs> premium branding material and everything. No, um, no, I, I think ultimately, you know, I, I think the main thing that I, I love about our conference right now, no discredit to, you know, black and gold banneret or Scott Holman, um, or the, the Bearcat blogs or anything like that. But I, I do like the setup that we all have and the community that we all have together, even, you know, with the high and mighty Cincinnati's and, you know, Houston basketball and everything like that. The, the sense of community in the conference is just top notch and it's mm-hmm. definitely going to be missed with Scott Holman, you know, yep. the, the, um, down the drive, the guys from Cincinnati, they're, they're fantastic. And, and, you know, they'll, they'll sorely be missed. And, um, and then there's UCF. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was coming. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, man, I agree. I agree. It's a, it's a really good league. I, you know, obviously, like you said, it's very sad to be losing the Scott and Holman guys. Uh, but pretty much, you know, I'm not going to miss a, a ton of people from Cincy and I'm not really going to miss anybody from, from UCF. So, uh, <laughs> bummer to lose Houston, but I, I'm glad we still got a, a pretty good group hanging out in the league. So that's fun. Oh yeah. We, we'll get, we'll annoy fear the wave and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, sure. the owls daily guys. <laughs> All right. Well, before we let you go, where can people find you and the Daily Stampede online, on Twitter, on podcast feeds, all that stuff? Uh, so I'll start with the uh, the Daily Stampede. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Stampede SBN. Uh, also on Instagram, the Daily Stampede. We have a photographer now. Uh, I was the photographer for a yeah. while. Then we actually got someone that actually has a nicer camera uh, and she <laughs> takes excellent pictures. So you can also find us on there whenever we have home games. Um, and then we also do live podcasts every Tuesday uh, to kind of wrap up previous week, look ahead, talk about that. And then we do live film room with the Seth Varnador. If you guys have not watched Seth Varnador break down any film, he is masterful. He was a former college quarterback. Uh, he played in front of John Brantley, uh, Gatorade National Player of the Year, John Brantley. Nice. Seth Varnador <laughs> started in front of him for like a little bit. Um, nice. But we do film room live as well on Wednesdays. And then personal, uh, you can find me at Robert Stieg Life. Um, have fun following me. I tweet a lot. It's really annoying and it is very volatile, but I try to keep it half-hearted and, uh, and friendly as much as I possibly can. I would wager that you are the best USF follow. So anybody who's listening should absolutely follow you. I, I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> I think I think that there is some other, if you ever want to like get really needy gritty into the USF uh, fandom, just come in. Mention uh, being ranked number two. Uh, you'll make a lot of friends. Um, say that Jim Levitt should come back. They'll love you for that. They'll they'll put you on a pedestal for that. Um, and then also uh, make sure to mention that Judy Ginchef was the best thing that happened to the university. <laughs> you'll make yeah. so many friends. Very nice. All right, Rob. Well, thanks again for coming on. Really enjoyed it. Uh, let's have some awesome. fun on Saturday. Hopefully we get a good one. Both teams should have fun. Uh, that's all we're looking forward to. Uh, Tulsa fans, if you're coming to the game, sunscreen hydrate 
you are not going to beat the sun. I promise you that. (laughs) Water, water, water. Put on sunscreen at halftime. You'll be fine. Love it. Appreciate it, man. See you later. See you guys. All right. And thank you again. I really love having having Rob on. Um, Like I mentioned, had him last year, had him this year now. Probably will become a yearly yearly tradition for us. Uh, what a good guy. He was talking about the the community that we have, you know, interleague. And I do think, you know, missing the Scott and Holman guys is going to suck. Um, but we still got Fear the Wave. We still got a lot of guys to talk to from South Florida. There, there's a couple of really good ones we could pull in from there. Rob at the top of that list. And down the list, I mean, you've got a guy at Temple we could talk to. You got the Boneyard guys and another big podcast uh, for East Carolina. So it's a good, it's a good community. So very happy to have Rob on. Uh, we'll have to do it again uh, for basketball season and again for football season. And yeah, really appreciate that guy. Let's do some around the league. Uh, I'm not going to spend much time on this this week. I didn't get much early, of a chance to watch many of these games. games right? There weren't that many games and I didn't watch really any of them um, except for ours. Obviously, I, I kind of heard about a lot of them. Did you get to watch any of these live, Matt? No. I guess I think like two others were kind of during our game too. SMU Navy, I think was, was pretty late. East Carolina UCF was definitely happening during our game at some point. Um, the only other ones were, yeah. And th- those were all the Saturday games. So I don't yeah, think Thursday we really had a the chance. Only other at the Houston Tulane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of the Saturday games, I'm saying those two were oh, during our yeah. game, but then you, you, we had a Thursday and a Friday game. And so Thursday, I actually did get to watch a little bit of the Thursday game. That was Houston Tulane, like you mentioned. And I watched the beginning of this and, did not start off well. Uh, Houston went up 14-0 early. Tulane came back and looked fine, but man, they just they really let it get away. And then Houston scored with like two minutes left in the fourth quarter to make it look like a worse loss than it was. Um, so it sucks. You know, Houston, I guess it's better for us if Houston looks really good because it makes our our 35-point 35 uh, loss look slightly better if you can if you can make that look good, which I don't really think you can. Um but just not a not a good showing from Tulane. Lost by 18 to Houston. Tulane's one and five now, which Matt, I think you mentioned earlier in the show. That's that's just so surprising to see that team. That was a, you know, as they as they usually are, a team thought to be a sleeper in this league. And I do think they're a talented team, but that defense, I think, took a much bigger step back than I think a lot of people thought they would. And man, they are now one and five and very close to breaking that bowl streak that they've got going. Uh, so that was the Thursday game. We did have another game on Friday, and I got to watch the like third quarter of this game, which was, if you're looking for a good football to watch, the third quarter was the worst of the quarters. It was just Temple just felt the third quarter, I guess, looking at the recap here, kind of the wheels fell off, and they lost 52 to three. Cincinnati beat Temple 52 to three. And that, you know, so Temple, I, I, I kind of started not knowing what to think about them because they beat Memphis. I didn't know if Memphis was. Uh, much worse than, you know, I, I already kind of thought Memphis wasn't going to have the year that they have had in the past. And then, but I thought Temple was really bad. So <laughs> I don't know if Memphis is even worse than I thought, or if Temple is much better than I anticipated them being. I still don't really know what to think about Temple. So coming into this game, you know, Cincinnati's coming off a giant win over Notre Dame, you know, on the road. A lot of people thinking like, maybe this is kind of a, you know, maybe it's, maybe it'll be a trap game. Not that they're going to lose, but it'll be a little bit closer than than people might think. Uh, taking, I think, taking Temple with the with the spread was honestly a pretty smart call. Uh, looking at it even in, re- in retrospect, um, but ended up not. I mean, just Cincinnati just rolled them fifty two to three. I mean, and they scored three points in the second quarter. That was it. And and Cincinnati scored outscored them obviously like twenty eight nothing in the third quarter. 
just freaking crazy. And something I did see happen live when I was watching this game on Friday, um, the small bit that I did see was in that third quarter when things, you know, it was 17 to three at halftime, early third quarter, still pretty close game. I think they were down 20 something at this point. Uh, Dewan Mathis, Temple's quarterback, uh, Georgia transfer, wherever he came from, um, just he just kind of lost it. Like he, he, you know, it was third and long. He tried to make a play. It didn't work. Uh, and he just kind of like threw the ball to the side, like angrily threw the ball to the sideline and ran off the field and was just, you know, really, really upset. It, it just bad sportsmanship in general in that play. And I thought, all right, well, he's probably done. You know, he, the way he ran off the field, I thought they were going to replace him because they've been going between two quarterbacks all, you know, for a lot of the season, uh, Justin Lynch or whatever the, their second stringer is, has come in a lot. And I thought they were going to pull him in after that. Um, but they didn't. He came back out the next series and, you know, it didn't go any better. But I was surprised to see it. Um, I still don't super know what to think about Temple. Getting beat really bad by Cincy, I don't think shows you anything. Cincinnati is amazing. Uh, but I didn't like to see the sportsmanship stuff from from them. Uh, so I don't know, man. Like, I still think we're going to be Temple by a lot, even though they beat Memphis. I don't I I don't really know. Temple's Temple's the weirdest team uh, to me in not in the league, but they're they're up there. And then let's see. The, yeah. And I mentioned the other ones this week. Yeah. So SMU played Navy at 230. Um, I didn't get to watch this one. And then the other game was ECU UCF, which ended up being extremely close, which is maybe not that surprising because UCF's uh, Dylan Gabriel is out for an extended period of time. So uh, freshman quarterback Mikey Keene coming in, trying to make some noise there. Um so of those games, like I mentioned, I uh, didn't get to watch them, so I'm not going to spend any time. But SMU ended up beating Navy 31 to 24. Interesting because Navy coming off a win over UCF last week have seemed to found their starting quarterback finally in Ty Lavatai. And man, they were, you know, close game, obviously only lost by seven. Uh, but Navy couldn't pull it out, couldn't hang with probably the, the super high powered offense that SMU's got. Um, but closer than... You know, I thought it was going to be, but Navy looks like they might be the real deal after a win over UCF last week and a close, close loss to SMU this week. And then UCF, uh, you know, coming off the loss to Navy, playing East Carolina, another game they definitely think that the fan base definitely thinks they should win by a lot. Ended up only winning by four, 20 to 16. Uh, so I think UCF, very vulnerable. We don't play them this year, unfortunately, um, but they're looking like a potentially extremely vulnerable team, especially now that Dylan Gabriel's out. All right, and that covers the conference stuff this week. So just some final things before we close it out. Um, something we haven't talked about, and I wanted to get your thoughts on on this, Matt, but we haven't talked about it in a bit. is just the conference realignment stuff. We were talking about this every week for like six weeks straight and didn't mention uh, some of the big news that happened a couple weeks ago, which was all the reporting uh, was from everybody was saying that the American is pretty much a done deal to go and get Air Force and Colorado State from the Mountain West. Boise State and San Diego State had been reported that it's probably not going to happen. And so plan B, it sounded like, was let's go get some of these other Mountain West people uh, with Air Force and Colorado State. And that did not work. They declined the invitation. A lot of people were thinking Air Force was more out the door than Colorado State. Air Force seemed to be very interested. Um, Colorado State was kind of following Air Force. But then apparently a lot of alumni and donors inside the program were not a fan of the travel that was going to yeah, obviously uh, be a big burden on especially the non-football schools, as, as we talked about with Stieg. And I, I understand it. It never really made a ton of sense to me either. The whole West Wing idea. I, I, I know you agree, Matt, but like the geographically centered idea is more appealing to you. 
those are definitely some bigger brands like Air Force and Colorado State. So I, I see the appeal from that side of it. Uh, but just from like a fan perspective, I I am definitely kind of excited that we are taking another another look around. I know some people are really down uh, about the American now that we failed to get some you know second tier Mountain West teams to leave and join us. But you know maybe it's just me being naively optimistic. But I I'm pretty psyched with the idea of UAB and then some teams closer to us. Yeah, so I feel like Conference USA is kind of on their last ditch effort to. Um, save themselves is the most recent thing that I've saw seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought the old Big Ten commissioner in as like a consultant, and so they're trying to get everybody to sign a petition that like Conference USA, the American, and the Sun Belt should um, like restructure themselves to be like equitable and more geographically focused. Yeah. Uh, and Aresco and what's his name over at the Sun Belt have both said that they don't really have any yeah, interest, Thompson. which. I mean, they're not going to. The Conference USA is definitely the weakest link. Um, yeah, and it's probably going to be the one who gets poached. Like, I, yeah, I don't know about some, being able to take Sunbelt teams at this time. I think a lot of people just kind of want to, especially like outside of Conference USA, most conferences are not really wanting to leave for the group of five ones, obviously. Like, you have Memphis, Boise State, San Diego State, who are waiting to try and see if they can get in the big 12, but Mm -hmm. nobody's real. There's not like a ton of quick as we, at least as we thought there was going to be desire to hop on in the American, like we hoped. So it's like UAB, I feel like is one. I feel like there's other conference USA ones uh, in Texas, especially that might be uh, Mm -hmm. good and could be fun. Like San Antonio would be a fun one. And like they're six and O to start the year. They're having a really uh, fun season at this point. But you got like North Texas, who's kind of bad right now, or UTEP, Rice. Uh, I feel like those are the ones that we're going to kind of be more targeting the Conference USA footprint at this point. So other than that, I don't think there's much gonna, that's going to change bef- like in the next cup. I mean, I don't know. I feel like this might just be a wait till the end of the season before there's going to be more big news, but you know, could also be wrong. And Oresco could have a conference tomorrow announcing the next four members or uh, next like six members. Eight yeah, members. honestly, I, I think we're going to hear in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Oresco was really aggressive right off the bat saying this is not going to be a months long decision. And I'm sure when he said that he was thinking Air Force and Colorado State were a done deal. So he's going to be able to announce that soon. So maybe it takes a little bit longer. But I do think it's not going to be a drawn out process. Uh, hearing a lot of a lot of people talking lately about Marshall and Charlotte on top of UAB. UAB still seems like a lock. Um, UTSA, like you mentioned, is another one that I think is getting is way more hype now that Mount, that uh, that Colorado State and Air Force are out of the picture, which I'm a fan of. Um, I know some people are not, but I think it'd be a fun one. And then Marshall and Charlotte, like I mentioned, there are, there are some sleepers, especially Charlotte, I think is a sleeper that's getting some well-deserved attention. I think that they should, they deserve a, a big long look. Marshall's got a brand name and some talent. Uh, so I think that's a somewhat attractive option too. So I'd be into it. Uh, I'm, I hopefully, hopefully we get some answers sooner rather than later, just for my own selfish wanting to know how it goes. But, uh, I'd be surprised if it went on longer than another two weeks. I think unless we literally cannot get somebody to jump, which I cannot see happening. Like everybody wants out of conference USA. If somebody declines us from CUSA, that is damning on the America. If we can't pull one of those guys, we are in bad shape until Tulsa's try to get out of this league because that, there, I, there's just no way that that happens. Uh, CUSA's media deal is just atrocious compared to ours, compared to ours, what ours will be even after losing these guys. So, um, 
if UTSA says no, that is how <laughs> we are in bad shape. Um, and then final thing that I want to talk about was, uh, was men's soccer. And let me pull up. They, they, they play, they are playing when we started they this lost. thing. They lost this game. Yeah. Dang. Me let me, uh, oh, shoot. So coming to you live score update. Matt just mentioned it. Uh, but yeah, Tulsa soccer number six in the country coming into this week. Uh, according to the coaches, Paul, number four, according to top drawer soccer, um, playing at home. No, no at on UCF the on the road at UCF and lost this game. So the first loss of the season. So we are nine and one now with the loss to UCF. Uh, oh man, that is rough. So they started at five o'clock when we started, you know, soon before we started recording. So that game is over. It's done. So Tulsa's first loss of the year over not enough time to really evaluate that game since it happened while we were recording but there you go a loss to the men's soccer team first one of the year sucks um but you know feel like it's going to happen eventually it's tough to tough to go undefeated hard to see it but they almost got there you know nine and oh they only have what one two three four five six games left five games after the ucf game uh so man they they got close but hey you know good for them for for doing as well as they have for so long top 10 in the country. I doubt they'll drop too far. I don't know how good or bad UCF is. Um, but now we've got a couple home games, uh, Temple and Memphis. And then we end with a two game road stretch at SMU and at Temple. And then we get another chance at UCF coming back to Tulsa in Hurricane Stadium on November 5th. And that'll be the last game of the regular season. All right. Uh, good to call it there, Matt. Yep. All right. Uh, well, thank you all for listening. Make sure you are subscribed to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, drop us a rating and a review while you're there too. Those help a ton. If you would like to support us financially, you can do that. Uh, a couple ways to do that on our website at thegoldenhurricast.com slash support. And finally, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at goldenhurricast. And you can send us an email and that email address is thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you next week. Stay golden. Stay golden.